Yes. So my favorite role out of those is, of course, being a granny. Being a granny is the shit. But you first have to have kids in order to be a granny. Just telling you. <laughs> so anyway, um, I think the topic I'm going to talk about today is, is kind of more easily spoken about today after the pandemic. We all know that video conferencing is not enough. Is it? And there are reasons why we want to be here together in this room and see whole people. And so a lot of the stuff that we've been doing around putting technology on or around the body is now making sense to a lot of people. Um, but it's still not clear exactly how to do it, is it? You know, um, so video conferencing we've done uh, research on for years and years and years and it still was shit. Right? There's so much missing there that we need to do. So anyway, so that's why I find the work we do super, super interesting. But um, let me tell you first a story to explain the fundamentals of my thinking. So a friend of mine, uh, her name is Catherine Uspister. She's a researcher in the US. Um, she wanted me to come with her to see the Orkney Islands because her family originally came from the Orkney Islands. And she wanted to go there to see some graves, uh, maybe sort of tracing her, her relatives. And I was like, yay, graves. <laughs> Of course, I want to go to the Orkney Islands and see some graves. So we did. This was before the pandemic. And there was, in particular, one place called the Isbister or Isbister tomb. And we're like, oh, yeah, that must be it. So we went there. Um, and we hadn't really read up. Uh, so we discovered that it was a 5,000-year-old tomb. Uh, so maybe it was her relatives, maybe not, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, we went there and, and what was really odd is that they allowed us into the tomb and they allowed us to touch stuff like tools that the people of the time had used. And so this is my hand holding one of the, to of the tools that they had found in this grave. Uh, and it's basically a stone, right? <laughs> But somebody has chipped a mark into it, so you can see how my thumb can sort of hold on to that mark. Uh, and when you do, the tool immediately makes sense. It's sort of made for a human hand, and the human hand hasn't changed that much for 5,000 years, so it fitted. And it made sense suddenly as a tool that I could use to do whatever they did at the time, leather preparing, uh, crushing seeds, and so on. What was interesting is that we were also told about the skeletons they had found. So you can look at a human skeleton and you can see how, how much muscle strength they had, uh, how big muscles they had, and they were buff. Of course, you're buff if you have tools that look like a stone and this is how you work, right? Um, and so you could see they were, they were super strong. Looking at you guys, maybe this is not the tool you use in your everyday work. <laughs> so what is interesting about that is, of course, that the tools we use will change us fundamentally. So they change us in a literal sense. Our muscles become bigger or smaller or whatever. They also change our nervous system reactions so that we respond to certain opportunities in our environment or not. They change our feelings, what we, what we experience, what we can experience and what we cannot experience, and they change our culture. So with a tool like this, you can do certain things that make certain possibilities in your environment. And so the tools we have obviously change us, right? And, and that's like a truism, uh, of course. 
but it's also extremely literal. And the body and the movements of the body are so tightly linked to your emotional processes and to your thought processes. So it's kind of stupid that we did all of those video tools, assuming that everything was about visual input and language-oriented thinking. And we sort of forgot about the other parts of the processing that are tightly, tightly, tightly interlinked and that we cannot ignore when we do design. Okay, so my, my way of thinking about this is that, in a way, as a designer, what you do is you leave a set of sedimented movements behind in your designs that you then ask your end users to engage with. And when you do that, you're asking them to move, think, feel, engage in certain ways. Um, and so, so this, is, this is our responsibility. And this is uh, where we need to work deliberately. And if we've ignored the body and ignore emotion and so on, then what are we doing to our poor end users, right? So, yeah, but then what? What do we use the technology on our body towards? What is it, what is it that is missing? Um, so for me, it took me years and years and years of struggles to figure this out um, because it's obvious, you know, you can put sensors on the body and then you can register how my pulse is doing or my sweat or whatever. Yeah, and then what? Why? Why do we do this? What is it that we want to achieve by putting that kind of tech onto the body? Um, so it took me years and then finally I found uh, and read up properly. <laughs> it took me some years to have time to do that. Um, and I read about something called somastatics. So let me just briefly explain what that is. So somastatics is a term that a guy named Richard Schusterman, he's a philosopher, uses to talk about um, how we can be in the world in a good way. And here he is in his golden suit. He really loves um, being part of art uh, projects. Um, he's still alive and I've spent quite a lot of time with him and I'm, I'm, I now consider him a really, really good friend. Somasthetics is the combination of two words, on the one hand soma and the other one aesthetics. So soma is just a way of saying this thing of not separating mind and body because they cannot be separated. Uh, the brain is in the body <laughs> and it's connected through the brainstem to the rest of your, of your body. And so you cannot separate it. It's always there. It's always connected. So how do you talk about the world without using the word mind and body? Well, he says, well, let's use the word soma instead as a way of talking about the whole thing, about how that processing happens. And to him, it's important to point out that, that our somas, our ways of being in the world, is not like some bloody passive instrument that just bombarded with stimuli. It is a living, purposive, sentient, perceptive body or bodily subjectivity. Now, this might not seem so radical to you guys, but for somebody like me, brought up in a user-centered uh, design uh, way of doing design work, uh, it is putting myself into the loop, putting the subject there, rather than putting the end user and some kind of statistics that averages out over what the end user is, is radical. So designing with myself, changing my own body, my own soma to be a good designer, that is radical. And letting that take place, letting that be in the front seat. Uh, aesthetics is the other word that he put it together with, and aesthetics can mean 
loads of different things. The way he talks about it is as, as a skill. So it connects really well to the first talk we heard this morning about engaging with the senses uh, when you're a chef and how to, how to think about how to do that. So through all of your senses, you can be more present in the world. You can develop yourself. You can, you can have more and richer experiences. So when you go out, I think there will be fika and stuff. Uh, you, can, you can eat the fika like yum 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 tan, or you can actually enjoy it. You can spend some time with it. You can look at it, you can taste it, you can engage with it. And this is what he means by aesthetics. So an awakening from the mindless, joyless, everyday behaviors to actually attending. And when you do, you can change yourself. And that's an amazing promise the somasthetic promise. You can change yourself, you can lead a better life. Um, so he talks about it as the highest art of all, that of living a better life. Okay, so you might find this like, <laughs> what kind of religion is this? Uh, for me, it's a religion that fits with somebody who's atheist, right? I don't believe in a life after this one. I believe in having a rich life here and now. Uh, and not only for rich middle-class white women who are grannies, but for everyone. Whether you're working in a factory or you're working uh, in the creative industry as you guys are. Anyway, so this change, this possibility that we can change, that we can have richer experiences of ourselves, of others, of the world we live in, how do you use that to do design work. So let me give you a couple of examples. So early on we started working with IKEA. They turned to us and they said we want to work with health and we want to make, make interactive furniture that is promoting health, health, healthful life. So this is in 2014 or something like that. So we built a bunch of different things. It took ages, several years, uh, very slowly engaging with our own bodies and, and so on. One of them was this breathing light. Um, so in short, what it's doing is just uh, a very simple sensor that measures the distance between the lamp and your chest. So there you see the sensor. And as you're laying down, uh, the sensor registers the distance and starts dimming the lamp in the same tempo as you're breathing. So it's not really doing anything with your breathing. It's not trying to change you. It's just dimming in the same tempo as you're breathing. Um, and oddly enough, that influences you strongly. So as you lay there with this lamp, you immediately deepen your breathing. It just comes about easily. So here you see my colleague, Johanna, laying there, breathing. She left us, she's now working for Spotify. I hope they do some breathing. Uh, <laughs> So, um, and then we also did another thingy we call the Soma mat. Uh, in short, it is a mat that you can lay on and it has heat elements in it. And those heat elements guide you through attending to different body parts. Uh, so f at first you hear a voice talking to you about, you know, now focus on your left calf and then it heats up underneath your left calf and so on. And then at some point it start actually stops talking and starts just enacting and, and being with you. And so here you see kind of an illustration of, now we can't hear the video, that's okay, but there's somebody sort of saying, now focus on your left shoulder and so on. Anyway, so these two, 
uh, systems we put into people's homes to see would they deliver the kind of change that I said that we wanted to see. So, of course, this is complex. Just because you lay about on a mat with a lamp above, would you really, in the long term, change? So we had to do this for months. So we had, and we couldn't afford to build too many of these. But we had four households that got a mat and a lamp each, and who used this. And in the study that we did on this, it was really fascinating. It was one of the first times I've ever had end users crying when we took back the system. Um, so we had, for example, in one family, a 13-year-old girl who said, yeah, this has helped me to be more grounded in my body. So when I go to school to give a talk, I actually just return to my breathing and I feel more secure and I feel like I can do the talk and so on. So it worked, it delivered stuff. So how did we do this? How, what is the trick to do the, this kind of work? Well, what was really difficult and interesting to me is that it took time. It took a lot of energy to attend to your bodily signals and to your emotions and to your thinking and how those are linked in order to come to design work that actually could do this. So we did loads of like slow walking in the forest behind KTH, we did Feltenkrais exercises, we did movements that were the non-habitual movements in order to figure out what are the habitual movements that we do every day that we want to change. So let's just try one non-habitual movement to see how norms are enacted on your body. So for the women in the audience, do a proper man spread for me. Put your legs out. Own the world. <laughs> so I can see that after a while you're like, oh my God, that's so embarrassing. I'm going to put them together again. Okay, so this is what we do. We're taught to behave in certain ways, right? And it's not until you do the non-habitual movement that you can figure out that there might be other ways of being in the world as a woman. Anyway, so we did that. We tested um, various technologies and so on. So you might think, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they put, put several years into something and, and of course they can do really good design. Can you do it again? Can you do it for other kinds of applications? Um, so we did, we did a breathing guitar that helps you handle your performance anxiety. And in this case, it's also about breathing. When you get really nervous, you stop breathing, right? So I'm a horseback rider, when I, have, when I do something difficult with a horse, I stop breathing and my teacher will see this. I don't know how she sees it, but she'll yell at me, Kia, start breathing again. <laughs> and so when you're performing as a guitarist, and if it's really difficult, then you hold your breath a bit, right? So this one is breathing back at you. So those are inflatable elements that sort of uh, pushes at you to help you figure out that, no, actually I need to breathe. Um, we did, uh, one of my PhD students has done this drone chi, it's a Tai Chi dancing drone. Uh, here he is standing next to me and you can see the tiny beautiful little drone that looks like a water lily. And my hands are carrying these 3D printed things that the drone is looking for. And you can see on my movements that I am doing like Tai Chi kind of movements, not exactly Tai Chi, but that kind of movement. Um, we built this, one of the most recent things is we built this corset, so it has shape-shifting elements on top of your body that can change in different directions, so it's using pneumatics. 
And we use that to create a performance. Um, and so here, <laughs> here are the people in the performance. It's me and two of my colleagues. And the singer is an opera singer. And as she's singing, we interpret that using some AI and translate that into like a score on top of your body. So this would be really good if we have the sound on. Should I do something to have the sound on for this one? Um. So can you see the movements? That is almost mirroring her singing in a weird way. Any which way, moving on. Um, <laughs> We've also worked with a lot around uh, uh, women's health. So one is the pelvic floor muscle. So, you know, you're supposed to, to work with that. You're supposed to tense it and release it. And it's actually good for guys as well. Uh, you have better sex experiences if you, if you know how to control it. Uh, for women, it's, it's really important. But where is it? So we are building this chair that is shape-shifting. It's changing its form to help you discover where is my pelvic floor muscle and help you train it. Um, we are working with uh, menstruation, because, you know, when you start menstruating, it's a big change in your life, and it's really hard to figure out what the hell is going on. And it's a whole month, right, that you have this cycle. So the middle picture is actually saliva. When you are fertile, which is only about two days every month, your saliva has this crystalline pattern. I didn't know that. I wish I'd known when I was that age. Um, and, and so you take a little sample of this, put it on, we made like a little probe that you use on top of your mobile, and then you can see that. Uh, the picture over there is your blood, right? A lot of women are still not daring to touch their blood, uh, even though, you know, it's interesting to see what is it. Some shape-shifting elements to, uh, to massage you and so on, and then we put this to 13, 14, 15-year-old uh, women, um, who used it to design their own stuff. So they put together out of these small little bits and pieces a toolkit for themselves that made sense to them. So one of them used like uh, shape-shifting stuff around the neck as a way of calming down, um, because that's, that's super important. Okay, so all of these, I don't know if you see it now, but all of these are there to improve your understanding and your awareness and your control over your bodily movements, how they link to emotion, how they link to your ways of being in the world. And so in that sense, we're sort of leaving behind a set of possible movements that might help somebody discover stuff about themselves. Um, and that's where the aesthetics arise in the interactions with the systems. And that is, in fact, also where the ethics is enacted. Um, and that might sound weird, because I think a lot of us go like, ethics? Isn't that about checking the box that says that privacy has been catered for? Um, and it's not only, it's also a felt experience. So here I am horseback riding with my really good friend, Josie. And if I didn't know how to engage with myself, I wouldn't be able to ride, and I wouldn't also be able to make friends, because if you don't know what you're portraying to others, it's hard to be empathic, it's hard to be a friend. And, and if I don't know what I can do together with my friend, if I have all these norms that says that somebody who's a granny shouldn't go horseback riding full speed over the beach, 
then I wouldn't have those experiences, right? So ethics is really enacted in every little detail of how you move and engage with others. And that's where we want to be in the positive loop, in the positive change, as we heard. So, I'll end. I can see that she's getting nervous about me talking too much. And <laughs> so I'll just end by uh, self-promoting, as everybody else, my book, uh, Designing with the Body. Um, and just ending with a quote about what I think soma design is about. It's about improving these connections between sensation, feeling, emotion, and subjective understanding and values. And using technology in the loop and emptying that material in all its capacity to create for meaning making for people. Thank you. <laughs>